You're trying to make me like this bank robber. <laughs> I honestly, reading this, I more and more, I was like, God, I like this guy. Like, I, he's like, oh, my eyes, almost the role model now for me. Yeah. <laughs> he is a bad guy for what he's doing because it was highly illegal. But they had it coming. Yeah. Wells Fargo had this coming. Yeah, what they were, I mean, let's think about this. Like, okay, what he's doing is technically, I mean, it's technically illegal, right? But they, <laughs> they drank his milkshake. What, what else do you need to know? Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we talk about dead people. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-worker, Daniel. Say hi, Daniel. Hello, everybody. <laughs> He's so nice. He's such a nice kid. <laughs> we I hope, try to be. <laughs> we hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down various members of the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that... Daniel and I will do our amateur as best to give a basic account of the major events in the life of a now-dead person and give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, Daniel, who do we have this week? We have the famous stagecoach, Robert Black Bart. There's no, there's no good way to transition to this, so I'll just say this. How about we head down to the history lab and pull up the cowboy file? <laughs> oh, I'm so excited for this one. to be great. <laughs> Did you ever listen to the Wyatt Earp episode? No? Then go back, friend, and learn how Wells Fargo was, well, evil. And still is. We need a stagecoach robbery today, I think. And there's no one better to summon from the dead than Black Bart, the poet who stole the heart of the West and a bunch of money to boot. So what are you still doing here? This place still needs cleaning. Greta Thunbergatron just launched a nuke at the history lab. Won't do anything but shake a bunch of dust off the ceiling. We should be good, though. She launched a nuke at the history lab? Yes, but just like everything else these whiny environmentalist transhumanists do, they'll be wildly ineffective. You know, saying shit like that, that, that makes you like a really, really cool janitor. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? Listen to podcasts while I'm, while I'm working? It's better than a college education. And I don't become a communist. Actually, you know, it's funny. I wrote that line for you, but it's actually true. <laughs> people get into office jobs and their brain's occupied, but other people get into, like, janitorial or, or whatever, and their brain is not occupied so they can, like, listen to stuff while they're working. And they're, it really is true. Their education does continue <laughs> while the office workers God, yeah. occupied by... <clears throat> I mean, it's funny because, like, it's just it's just understood amidst... <laughs> Our people, you might say. Um, that, yeah, very much. Is. Yeah, people <laughs> you got all just, the free time. I just <clears throat> learned something. Right, and they they plumb the depths of wisdom and knowledge, and it's like, oh, <clears throat> you know, I'll put it to you this way. Like one of the first conversations we talked, we had about uh, podcasting was like, oh, you like conspiracies and the paranormal too? It's like, yeah. It's like, are you normal? And it's like, but the thing is, like, up to that point, like, I'd only experienced, like, working with office people. And they don't, they think all that stuff's, like, super fringe, but they don't realize that the entire working class is, like, interested in that shit because they've listened to all of it. Very yeah, interesting. The conspiracy theories, mm -hmm. you know, uh, cults and all oh, the paranormal. Oh, yeah. You know. We know, we know. <laughs> We oh god everything. all that stuff yeah. we know <laughs> we've we've been there like 
It's You're funny. Just waiting for one day to get the the call from the Illuminati. You know? yeah, just right. one of those. The Illuminati <laughs> aren't going to call the office people. They're going to call the custodian. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, what's the better cover? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, You're there all the time. You're watching everybody. You know what everybody's doing. You know what everybody's throwing away. It's true. It's really I mean, true. You can, you can really understand a person by just looking at their trash, honestly. Well, man, now you're now you're getting that uh, you're getting that wise night shift janitorial vibe. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think I told you one time I went into the uh, the inventory office at work, and there was a guy there just like sitting there looking miserable, and I said, um, "It was my last night on uh, on custodial," and I was like. <laughs> He, I was like, what's going on, man? How you doing? He's like, oh, I'm not feeling so good. I'm like, well, it's my last night on night shift janitorial or custodial. I said, so I've only got my wisdom for so long. <laughs> my my magic <laughs> night shift janitorial wisdom. And believe it or not, he just opened up and started telling me his whole story. And I was like, is this what it feels like to be Morgan Freeman? <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, I uh, you were telling me something this morning that I thought you should definitely share with uh, the listeners because uh, it, um, it, it didn't just. Well, how how much how much you just tell us about it? Just get into it. So, have you ever heard of a glitter bomb? Yes. Or confetti bomb? <laughs> uh huh. I can only imagine it's like what they probably did was have either a bag of glitter or confetti. And it's, like, not, like, your confetti as if you were just shredding up, like, you know, the tissue paper kind of confetti. I'm talking, like, thick, tin kind of, like, confetti. And it was, like, but it was sticking, like, glitter to everything. So people decided, oh, let's, this is a good idea. Let's just throw it. And it's just, just throw it everywhere for the celebration you're doing at our work for the gold club member thing. And it was everywhere. They got all through the hallways, everybody's offices, uh, the break rooms, which is concrete flooring, the bathrooms, which is tile flooring, all the steps had it, all the freaking first floor was covered, the test kitchen where they do their demos, all in there. Ugh. It's like somebody was just going around and just shaking their clothes everywhere. Ugh. Now, keep in mind, the vacuum I have is old as if it was made in the 1950s. <laughs> Oh, good. Maybe 1940s. And it's still, we still use bags. Oh. <laughs> and it's got no detachments. I can't detach it to go and clean the steps properly. So there's still some, you know, some confetti on it. <laughs> and I know I'm going to get some crap for it. I can already feel it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like. I'm like, what do you want me to do? Because the other vacuum I have, which is the, the old, the newer, I would say quotes of newer, but it doesn't use bags is what I should say. Um, it, it basically, it's about as effective as me inhaling in to suck up things. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it also, I, I was using it, it clogged on me a couple times, and it freaking overheated. Uh, uh, what? So I, I couldn't even use it. It um, got so hot that it, the, and the, the engine just kicked out on it, and it just turns off. Wow. So I had to go grab the red one, bring it up, finish the vacuuming. It took me three hours to vacuum everything up. Oh, my God. And there is still some because it was clinging to the wheels. They even got it on the walls up there. And oh. I was amazed with that. The office people just had to launch a glitter bomb for something. Uh, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't have been so bad if they would have left me a note saying, hey, we're sorry. Here's uh, some food from the, you know, the awards and the celebration. They didn't do any of that. There was just kind of like a big old F you and left it like that. Amazing. It's like, Amazing. man. 
Yeah, I told you. I told you when you went to the office, it was going to be more annoying because you were going to have to deal with office people. And I I know you knew it. But at the time I was like, you know, out here on the floor, like you'll you'll like pick half a shattered pallet out of a pick bay. And you'll be like, oh, God, you know, this is so heavy and dirty. and <laughs> But you're not dealing with office people who are launching glitter bombs for fun and then are like, oh, somebody will clean that up. <laughs> Pretty much. You yeah. know what the best part was? You know what's even better? What? I had vacuumed the day before. So basically they undid I just negated ev- that. Yeah, yeah. It was like I shouldn't even have fucking bothered. <laughs> yeah. God. Well, I, re- I seem to remember like when you first started up there. You had uh, people complaining about, like, literally urinal cakes and, like, lights and, like, stuff that didn't matter hardly at all. Is that right? Well, I don't, so the, I don't change, we don't change the urinal stuff, like the, the urinal cakes and uh, the light bulbs. It wasn't really, that's just up to our maintenance team to do that. But that's because we have to wait three months for a light bulb. And I'm still waiting on them because they're trying to get the uh, the LED ones that last, like, for years. Oh, so I'm yeah. waiting on those, and more lights are going out. So it's kind of getting dark up there, and they know about it, but they haven't changed them. And meanwhile, and, uh, the, they're, the they're complaining screen, to you. Yeah, the, they're complaining to me, and then yeah, and then they we need to change like the urinal screens or the cakes that are in the urinals. But the thing is, I'm not supposed to change those. Those are up to the our mechanics to change them. I don't know why. I mean, I have them. I can change them if they want me to, but I don't do that because then I gotta message the person. And find out when they're changing it, and then let them know, hey, I changed it ahead of time for them. Yeah. Oh. Because they also got to flush the, the the water and stuff, and they do uh, a degunker of it just in case, just so it doesn't get clogged. Oh. Yeah. That's why. So I'm like, I don't change it because of that. So I'm like, I don't like messing with their schedule. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, it's uh, it's all up to the office people. They're the, they're the. Uh, well, I don't know what you would call them except for like. I don't know. You're like a zookeeper taking care of a bunch of peacocks, right? Pretty much. My favorite was them getting mad. One person getting mad because I didn't tie off their garbage bag to the can. You didn't tie it off? Like, I didn't tie it onto it. Like, it's not like I didn't, like, make sure it was nice and tight. I put it in. You just, I put it in the can. You put the bag in the can. In the and, can. And like, they, they supposed to. And oh. they were just upset that it wasn't tightened to the garbage. It's just so not worth like, it, not man. It's, just, them, yeah. it's just not worth it. Oh yeah, it's it's fantastic, you know. Oh. Oh, good times, good times. But hey, you know, like that you pick your battles, and sometimes you got to do battle with the office people, and you know, sometimes the peacocks they just get up there on the fence and they just start cawing at you, and it's like, look, I'm just literally trying to give you food and clean this place up. Like, you know, stop squawking at me, and they're like, I am a peacock. I am I am better than you. But, yep. Yeah. Anyway. It is, it is, uh, I thought that was a funny story because, I don't know, there's something about a glitter bomb that just reeks of, uh, class difference. Um, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I I remember when glitter bombs and, uh, FU packages or whatever the hell they were called, the spring-loaded stuff was going around. <laughs> um, yeah. like, the, I, I remember when that was hot, that was like... I'll say the, uh, there is like a car you can give people that doesn't turn off from making sound until they rip it to remove the battery, but it's filled with glitter in the back. So if you rip it open, it's going to get, air glitter is going everywhere. It doesn't matter. (laughs) That's, it's just reeks of millennial, but I was like, God, (laughs) yeah. Well, on that note, and speaking of class differences, I think it's probably time to get started on the actual content of the episode. So computer, please bring up Black Bart. 
So, Aaron, you want to describe who we're looking at here? Yes, we're looking at a very dapper fellow. Um, this is a guy with like a, I think it's called a bowler hat. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Um, and he's, he doesn't, he looks like, uh, like he's, his clothes make him look short. Like, I don't know how else to say that. He's got like this really fancy duster, um, a really long undercoat vest looking thing. Um, and he just, he just looks like, I don't know, like a, like a, like a comic book character. Um, he's got a big, thick mustache, uh, like that dude from the Big Lebowski. We can't remember his name <laughs> right now. <It's laughs> Sam something. Um, it might not even be Sam now that I think about it, but whatever. Anyway, he just looks really gentlemanly. Um, he's even got, like, a little cane with him. That, it's not even planted on the ground. He's too, he's too dapper to put the cane on the ground. He's got to hold it like a, like a magic wand. Um... Yeah, just a just an older looking fellow in very western dress. Like I wouldn't be surprised to see him driving a stagecoach in a western movie. <laughs> That's about all I got. <laughs> yeah. Pretty spot on, really. I mean, it's not much to him, you know. So who is this guy? He, well, he is uh California's most infamous stagecoach robber. Ugh. Nice. And also known for some of the poetic, poetic messages he'd left behind at some of his uh, robberies. Nice. That's yeah. That that about fits him. He looks like a, you know, like your typical robber poet. <laughs> oh, yeah. So why don't you? Gonna be a good one. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about this guy? Let's let's get started. All right. So Black Bart, whose real name is actually uh, Charles Earl uh, Bulls, uh, was born in eighteen twenty uh, twenty nine. Across the, he was across the Atlantic Ocean in uh, Norfolk, uh, England, and uh, his dad was John, and his mom was Mary. Uh, so, yeah, nice uh, New England man, had a good life. Uh, he was the third child out of ten in his family, having six brothers and three sisters. That's that's uh, about typical for that that era, eighteen twenty. I read that and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> dude, we've covered people on this show who had like thirty kids. It's crazy. Was, yeah, but then I, I was thinking. Then again, you know, I like like it's the West and uh, tuberculosis was a big thing. So I mean, that could probably be why a lot of people were having a lot of kids because the rate of death was still pretty high. <laughs> yeah, and what, here's another thing that a lot of people don't don't understand about that era is like your kids were your staff. If you, especially if you're running like a farm, um, you if you if you didn't have enough kids, you didn't have enough people to do all the work, and yep. so that was like it, it was sort of like. Um, the whole farm life and early immigration era in the United States, like, you had to have a lot of kids. They're like, aha, uh -huh, Mormons, der her, Catholics, ha ha ha, they just had lots of kids because they just, they don't know, they, yeah, they just, they just don't know how to stop. No, they did it because they needed human beings. <laughs> like, that's about it. So, well, so yeah, we're actually, he, his parents ended up actually immigrating to the U.S. and ended up living in Jefferson County in New York, where he his father ended up buying a farm. It was like four miles oh. from north of uh, I think it's called Plessis Valley. It's uh, over by uh, Alexandria Bay. Okay. So, so yeah. So I was like, yeah, it makes sense why there's a big family. Get a farm. You need all the hands. They got all the workers, you know. Nothing like having free labor. Yeah, well, I mean... You don't have to pay anybody. It makes it a lot well, easier. Well, they get to live there and eat there, don't they? I mean, uh, so yeah, they definitely get to live. You you live there. That's your pay. And you, you gave them life, so... <laughs> nah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Charlie, uh, as everyone called him, uh, had a common school education, uh, but excelled at sports and was probably 
for his weight, the best collar and elbow wrestler in Jefferson County. Elbow wrestler? Yeah. <laughs> As a small child, he had smallpox, though. But since, you know, his physical physique was really good, he was able to overcome it very easily. Mm, so mm-hmm. that was a, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. He's a stout fellow already. Oh, yeah. And then uh, in 1849, Charlie and his cousin David set out for the, the gold fields, uh, spinning a hard winter in uh, either uh, St. Joseph or Independence, uh, uh, Missouri. Mm. Uh, they arrived in uh, California in 1850 and started a mining uh, business kind of going on there because the gold rush, uh, the North uh, Folk of the American River and near Sacramento and uh, gold mining was in the early days back breaking work and often few rewards from that like not most of the time you really didn't make money off of it you had to hope that you had a good vi- uh, you know vent mm-hmm. or you knew somebody that knew where the spot was to go yeah and hoping that no other people were there you know making claims it was kind of risky too you know you had to work with other people who were miners there and would try to take your claim yeah, yeah. So um, you know, it's it was a risky business, but it know, it was rewards risky. were hit and miss too. It was it was risky business. We even talked about some mining towns and that sort of thing with the and we played the song "You'll Never Leave Harlan Alive" um, at the end of one of our episodes. I believe it was uh, I believe that was our um, hillbilly episode. That's how I remember it. It's the, uh, the uh, Hatfield and McCoy, the Hatfield McCoy episode. Yeah. So you'll never leave Harlan alive is about people who just got stuck in this mining lifestyle and they would get really good at it, do it for years. And maybe there were people who would own the land and they'd have their own mine. And then eventually they'd end up selling out to some big corporation. Um, And then the miners, just the people who didn't own the land got mistreated to hell um by these corporations don't beat me to the punch here i'm getting there <laughs> oh sorry i, I don't mean to. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, you're, you're getting really spot on it's I, like this I, is like it's a tale as old as time it you know? is a tale as old as time yeah 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 okay well i don't want to cut you off why don't you just keep going because <laughs> yeah because uh him and uh so charlie and his cousin uh mine for like over a couple of, for a couple of years there and then return home in like 1852 and then decided to go back and return to the fields again and do the same thing but this time they ended up bringing their brother his uh brother uh robert so they accompanied him uh and dave to back to california uh however they did have some problems and hiccups going there uh tragedy had struck on the trip uh and both dave and robert were taken really ill and ended up actually dying oh man so as soon as they pretty much arrived in california mm. Uh, Charlie did and did end up committed, uh, continuing to mine though for two more years before returning home, and then uh, went to Illinois, where he, of all places, Illinois, of course, <laughs> to marry Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Johnson, and uh, in 1854 they had like four kids. Okay, so we're getting to the point of, you know, people taking miners' stuff and treating them bad, getting there. Yeah, yeah, because it's Illinois, <laughs> and he he never gets out of the mining life. Yeah, I'm looking so, at this picture you got here of their home in Decatur. It was yep, just, that was uh, where they were. That's their house that uh, him and Mary, or him and Elizabeth, I mean, mm-hmm. where uh, their house was. It's pretty ragged. It's a little shack, it looks like. But then again, at that time, you really didn't need much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you're not like us where we need, like, several bedrooms, a fancy house, and I mean, TVs I, and things. This is just, you know, probably a kitchen, a bed, you know, and... And a couple L- other beds for the kids. <clears throat> Literally, um, you know, my my grandma was used to 
walking on dirt floors when she would go to um, her neighbors' homes. Uh, yeah, she was lucky. She considered herself very lucky to have actual flooring in her house. And this was uh, mm-hmm. this was also in the Midwest, and but also uh, out in Virginia. She lived both places. People just had dirt floors. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was it's still it was a common thing. You can even say the same thing with basements. You know, basements still some basements do have just dirt floors. Yeah, I had a dirt floor it's basement. It's still kind of common. You know, it's just, it's just normal. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, but we we just we just gotta have our our uh, our tile floors and our fancy boy showers and things, and it's like you know, like first world problems, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, it's like you look at pictures like this, and it's like, oh, this was America like uh, 150 yeah. years ago. Oh, it's kind of hard to believe sometimes. Yeah, but we we did it, you know. It's like crazy, but uh, I guess the best way to put it for us would be like looking back and being like seeing old DOS, you know, computers and things like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. The Atari and looking how things have just like just gone crazy. Seeing phones on cords. Yeah, well, <laughs> and then oh, looking at us now with phones that are don't need that, and it's just got a touch screen. You know, that's like wow, things have changed. You know, there's something. And it's not even that long. It's really not. And there was something my my grandma always said that I thought was really remarkable. She would say. You know, there was this one neighbor she had who lived in a house like this, one door, one window, dirt floors, and yet it was the cleanest house in the neighborhood. <laughs> like, it was it was perfectly maintained. But, you know, it, it, by our standards, we would be like, oh, this filth lives in the dirt. It's like she swept the dirt floor. <laughs> Do you, like, re- that's what she did. She would sweep the dirt floor. Man, you see now that's that's amazing because now she doesn't have to worry about the ghost, you know, making a mess of her dirt floors. That's you know? true. <laughs> <laughs> she kept the ghosts out with her broom. But <laughs> the ghost looking man, we can't play the pull the soul prank of leaving dirt on the floor today on a nice clean floor because it's already dirt. Yeah, so we've got that's, that's perfect. So Charles Earl Bowles, born in 1829 in Norfolk, Norfolk, England. <laughs> Uh, immigrated to America, got married in 1854. I mean, this is this is an American story right here. This is this really is the American kind of like almost set up as the American dream. Yeah, yeah. He's you he's, know coming you know over to the U.S. and making something out of it. You know, because opportunity, things like that. Yeah, really, what it feels like. Yeah, that's it's very very interesting. It's it's cool uh, to look at this period of American history and be like, wow, just. Like, people just, like, literally fled their country and came here and bought a farm and, like, the rest is, <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> like, so, yeah, pretty much left their country because, ah, they weren't getting a good opportunity and they saw the U.S. as a growing thing, that there was a lot of opportunity, which is a lot of people always looked to coming from anywhere from the Middle East and any other third world countries and just looking at it and be like, there's opportunity here because it was the U.S. at this time was really growing. Exactly. Like, you Ex- needed, if you wanted to make something of yourself, you came here because it was just so much opportunity compared to what they already had back at home because at that point, most of those places were just kind of, we're done. There, now, there's no growth, really. There wasn't a lot of not opportunity there. Coming here, not much was started. So they could start something and get it going and then build off of it for yeah. years. Yeah, and not to sound like completely ridiculous here, but I've, I've, I would say in the last year, reading about this period of time, especially, um, America really is the adventurer's nation. Uh, that's kind of how it is. <laughs> and I was like, this. I'll say that this time, yeah, it's like it's just opening up the uh, choose your own adventure book, really. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's so much that was going on that you could do. There was so much you could do. There's just endless ideas that people had. Yeah, as long as you're willing to break your back and freaking work in a mine, you could do whatever you want. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, That's pretty true. much. Still, I mean, I'm not even being sarcastic. That was kind of how yeah, it was. Really. Yeah, <laughs> kind of how it was. So um, anyway, I know I derailed us, so we can get back into the story now. Oh, don't worry. We're going to derail a little bit more because now we're going into the civilist of all wars. Oh! The Civil War. <laughs> that fun war, you know, the war that everybody knows about, or at least in U.S. people know about more. Abraham Lincoln's pet war. <laughs> now that's controversial, but I'm studying him right now, so carry, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> well, in uh, 1861, the Civil War broke out, and uh, in 1862, uh, Charlie had volunteered to join the Union Army. So, in the eyes of most people, the Union Army, they're the good guys, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. Obviously, to me. Uh, both sides had their reasons and opinions on it, but I'm not going to get into that because it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he enlisted for three years, though, in the uh, 116th Regiment of Illinois. Uh, of course, why has it got to be Illinois? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> the worst place to be. Uh, yeah. he, was in inf- he was in the infantry. Uh, and on uh, August 13th of 1862, on uh, that's when he was there, I mean, my bad. Over reading a little head, but yeah, he was... Put together, he was in the re- that regiment at that time. But on uh, July first of eighteen sixty three, he was promoted to first sergeant in, in his uh, company, and uh, had twice had the opportunity to become a lieutenant. I saw reports saying that he became one, and then I saw stuff that just kind of like said he kind of just didn't care to. Mm-hmm. So that one, I'm not even. I want to say he probably didn't because I saw more saying that had an opportunity, but it didn't sound like he ever took it. It's possible. Mm. Yeah, it's, with military records, especially around that time, it's hard to know what the hell people were actually doing. Oh, so um, yeah, there was a there was a fan page from called from the NRA fan club <laughs> <laughs> that had said that he accepted it, like he was he became lieutenant and like had been promoted a couple times from lieutenant. And then I found others that just said he had an opportunity that, but he never stated if he grabbed. They took the chance to go, you know, become a higher rank or not. Just said he had multiple opportunities, and that was pretty much how they ended it. Gotcha, gotcha. And then uh, on uh, May 26th of 1864 in Dallas, uh, Georgia, he received a severe wound to the right side of his abdominal region. Mm. Joining that Adrian uh, Carton de Vert <laughs> legion getting just blasted in a war. Yeah, he actually shouldn't have survived it. It was remarkable. Like, yeah. I guess he got blown away, basically. Wow. Uh, you know, after that, he recovered, returned to his unit, fought the Battle of Atlanta. Uh, served honorably and as a soldier, and during the war, uh, he was he was uh, left. He, yeah, because he left that first sergeant, and then again, I saw the report saying he left that as a lieutenant in, or a second lieutenant, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he left in uh, June seventh of eighteen sixty five. Okay. So I'm gonna say he left as a sergeant because I saw more reports saying that. So that's where I'm gonna leave it. Okay. So he was. Let's see here. So eighteen sixty. So it was pretty much he just discharged himself and he was done after gotcha. he served his his honor. He served out his the years he had you know put in for. Yeah, I mean so he, he got out when the getting was good. Basically. Yeah, well, I mean he got out after getting blown away. So <laughs> getting blown away to the point it was very severe. Like yeah, like I didn't I couldn't find details of how like how really bad it was, but everything I could see and find was just saying it was a severe wound. Like he shouldn't have survived it. It was very remarkable for that. Wow. So, yeah, he's, this man is lucky, you know, survives smallpox, he gets blown away. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's really just uh, kind of a tough dude already, but hey, you know, he's an early American. <laughs> so, yeah, it's very amazing. Uh, then, So after the war, he returned home and uh, started a farm again with his wife. Uh, but farming was just not his liking. It's going to mm. go back to mining like every miner does. They just can't get away from that life. It's something mm. they did like. Um, so he became restless about it. Uh, 
after all the time in the army living in an open air along with like memories of the gold fields he wanted to go back so he decided to go he could make more money mining than farming uh with his wife's permission he actually ended up leaving to go look for gold okay mm. uh, so charlie went to montana and located a small mine he purchased for like 260 dollars uh, in gold dust, by the way. Just find a mine and purchase it in gold dust. I mean, I was like, I don't know who's carrying around two hundred and sixty dollars worth of gold. And at that time, I that's I don't know what it could be equated to now. I actually didn't even look up the numbers of what it's actually worth now, dude. I mean, the gold rush is one thing I'm gonna have to really dig into and research at some point. And not there's just, so much. Yeah, oh, it's so that. crazy. Like people, like I think it was um. Was it Levi jeans that came out of the gold rush? Like, yep. so yeah, much. Yeah, uh, it was made for miners because of its durability. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it's fascinating to me, like, that there was a time when you you, you literally did. You, there wasn't just the American dollar. There were, like, state currencies. Um, but there were also, like, county currencies, company currencies. But gold was the thing that united all of them. You could buy anything from anyone in well, so like, Yeah, not to mention dust. even, like, the war bonds that were floating around. That, here, too. Like, yeah. That, too. Yeah. Uh, very, very, uh, I don't know. I say, especially during the Civil War, there was war bonds. Oh, like, sure, sure. Big amount. So, yeah, I was like, you can, there's the, the amount of currency and things people were using for trade. Yeah. It was you just wanna, all over the place. You want to talk about a decentralized economy. Um, and that's another thing that, um, we're going to have, we're going to talk about when I finally get to recording Abraham Lincoln here. Um, he was one of the guys who was really about eliminating all of this, uh, diversity in finance. Um, he, he was one of those guys who was like, oh yes, we need a, we need a universal dollar, a federal reserve dollar, you know, something like that. I mean, he was at least a precursor to that. Um, but you know, that's, that gets into economics and, and it bleeds into the modern day quite a bit. So I won't go there right now, but we are going to talk about, um, we are going to talk about that when we get, when we finally get to Abraham Lincoln. But, uh, you know, until then let's continue with, uh, with Black Bart here. All right, so he did work by himself. He didn't have anybody else with him. It was just him solely. Uh, so he made use of, like, the long toms is what they call them. Uh, basically, they're, like, trouts that are boards 12 feet long by, like, 8 inches to 10 inches deep. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, that kind of, like, where they would feed, like, the minerals through, and there's usually, like, a little screen at the end. They would pan through it to find the gold and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you know what's uh, funny is, like... Yeah, so it was, like, a metal sheet, basically. that had holes in it, so, like, grains and sand, and then the gold would pass through it. Have you ever and they been, would have a steady water running through it, too. Yeah, have you ever been to the uh, the Wild West town or whatever the hell out in Evanston, I think it is? <laughs> Evanston? I want to say maybe? Yeah, they've got... It's been a long, long time ago. They've got, like, a Wild West show where, they, you know, there's, like, cowboys who shoot squib bullets at each other and pretend to fall out of windows and things. Um, okay. But they also have a, a section there, and I went there, you know, when I was really, really young, so it may not even be there anymore. Um, but they had these toms and you, you could pan, like I'm using air quotes, pan for gold. Um, Mm -hmm. and they would put little bits of pyrite in the sand and you would just run it through all this stuff. So I know what you're talking about with these. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, no, uh, Wisconsin knows they kind of have something like that for little kids to do. It's like a, it's mining, uh, company, I think it's called or mining co. It's just like you, they put like, you can get by some sand and it's got gems and stuff they mix into and you can just shake it through the water that they run through there. It's just like a little, little traction for kids. Yeah, that's cool. I was like, that's pretty much basically that. Like, it's just the same concept, you know. They run, he runs it through, trying to safe, you know, siphon out the gold out of like the sand and stuff, kind of split them apart so you can find it, make it easier. And he's doing stuff. this all by himself. 
all by himself, literally by himself. It's amazing. That's amazing. So yeah, all like he was so water is like a big key factor of the operation. You need it. It's just gonna make everything smoother for what he was doing since he's running it by himself. Mm. He's not able to go down to a river and there wasn't anything like that nearby other than having him. He had to like set up an operation for the water to travel to him through that. Right. But. That would soon come to an end Uh-oh. due to some people we know as Will Fargo's. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, so he was approached by two men who were connected to Wells Fargo. They wanted the land in the mine he was on. Oh, no. And uh, he wasn't, they had, he didn't really want to sell it because his decision was, I'm going to make more money here than selling this to you. So that's not happening. Right. So then Wells Fargo does what Wells Fargo does. They decided to buy the area that water he was getting the water from and just cut the supply there forcing him to abandon the mine and just leave it all behind which any miner will tell you they will not that's not that's not good they will not they don't want to do that what the, yeah but that's i mean that's classic corporatist nonsense where they it really is like the, well, that's, it's it honestly sounds extremely like Wells fargo <laughs> dude it, but have you ever seen there will be blood no i haven't that's the end of the movie like there's this guy who's like He's this preacher. He's trying to, like, hold on to this land or something. I can't remember what it is. And this guy, um, the main character of the movie, simply buys all of the land around um, this guy's oil well. And it, and the the famous line at the end is, I drink your milkshake. He's like, <laughs> he's like, you've got a milkshake and I've got a straw. And here it is. And it, it stretches all the way over here. And it's, <laughs> it sits, it goes into your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. <laughs> I gotta watch this now, dude. You gotta watch it. It's classic, but that—that's the kind of—that's the kind of shit that was going on in these these operations, and you you had to be scrappy and you had to be very cunning to make this all work. So, yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I keep derailing. No, Just, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so with that being said, you know, obviously very angry, very mad. He ended up writing a letter home uh to his wife. And in the letter, he said, Aaron, if you will. Oh, um, I'm going to take steps. <laughs> but he never said what the steps were. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's just, it was, I'm going to take steps. That's literally what he said. Mm, freaky. Uh, it seems according to uh, his letter, though, they are, he was a force to ban the mind, like I said, you know, and uh, turn, and he just turned to... Uh, Aim all the blame for it, of course, at Wells Fargo. Well, yeah, I mean, everybody blames it. the bank. <laughs> I mean, if, in this case, it was them. They decided to squeeze them out of his land of what he had owned just so they can buy it up and do stuff with it. Good Lord. Um, it's a I didn't really find time. out what they were trying to do with the land. Probably just take the mine and mine it themselves, and they just wanted it. Mm-hmm. So it's possible with that, but it, there was probably another reason why they were doing it, too, but... I'm going to assume that they just wanted the land to do mining as well and buying up areas that were known for having good, you know, chances of getting gold too. Well, I'll add to that. It's like one of the things that banks like to do uh, is is secure routes. Um, it's sort of like... Uh, that. Yeah, that's possible too. The, back then it was it was stagecoaches with Wells Fargo. Yep. That's why their logo is a stagecoach. Yep. Um, so owning land and being able to build checkpoints on it, that was part of what the bank was interested in doing so they could sort of spread their noodly little tentacles across the country uh yeah this is classic bank behavior if you want if you look at i said yep tales all this time you again know, <laughs> you know why banks are called banks right no actually don't okay because the, uh, the, the i may have this wrong but at least initially at least the the version we have of the modern banking system 
It was literally built on the banks of rivers. They would build these checkpoints, um, I think it was during the Crusades, and they would capture forts, and they would bank their resources that they were shipping back from the Holy Land in these forts along the rivers. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, it's all connected. It's all connected in that way. It's very, very interesting. That's a, that's a whole other conversation. But, yeah, if you, if you think of banks as, like, um, like private empires, they make a lot more sense. Um because that's what they are. <laughs> They're pri little private empires. Um, but I, I see that Charles Bowles is starting to identify one of these private empires. Uh, oh, yeah. And he's going to yeah, take this, some Wells steps. Fargo plays a huge, huge role in the rest of the story. And it's fantastic, trust uh, me. Okay. They All deserve right. everything they get. Well, we know that. <laughs> They're banks. <laughs> it's fantastic. So, But uh, Charles would, def would actually write to his, uh, his wife, Mary, four times a week. Uh, but the last letter she ever received was uh, from him when he was in Silver Bow, Montana, dated August 25th of 1871. Mm. After that, she did not hear from him ever again, and she presumed presumed that he had died. Uh, she had heard rumors that there, he was uh, with a party of travelers that had been killed by Indians mm. at some point. Yeah. So, or Native Americans, I should say. But well, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. That's. It's hard to know because in Canada they call them. Yeah, it's just very rare. I so it's, I have multiple. I think it's even better because like the all the documents that I was reading and all the stuff I could find called them Indians and none of them really called them Native Americans. But right. Native Americans, I guess I should say. Uh, it would be twelve years before she had found out that uh, he actually was alive, but was also the bandit. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> or the oh. gentleman's bandit, as he will soon be called as well. Nice. So it would take a long twelve years before she ended up like finding out what happened. Yeah, okay. But that's later. <laughs> so we'll get that later. Uh, so this is where the Black Bart begins, though. Like, literally, this is where it begins now. Uh, uh, Bulls, or Charlie, decided he would uh, swear revenge on the that uh, when he was being pretty much robbed by Wells Fargo of his land. Yeah, they're so drinking his milkshake. He determined that he would get his revenge on them. So, like, he was going to just target them. And he was going to get his gold <laughs> one way or another. I love this. All so, right. Wells Fargo Company uh, had a home office in San Francisco, uh, California. Again, why California? <laughs> why have we got to go there? Another well, place that sucks. That's where all the gold is. I know. It's the gold. And it's just, it's just California. It's like beautiful area. But living is the worst. It's horrible. People are jerks there. Mm. I, it's just like as bad as New York sometimes. Oh, I know. I know. And I was when I was when I moved to Austin, I saw more California license plates than uh, Texas license plates. And I had a big think about that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where uh, Burles decided or yeah, Burles decided to go or Bart or I'll call him Black Bart at this point because that's where he's at now. Sure. So that's where he decided he was going to move to. He was he's going all in on it now. Uh, so he began his began his life of crime at uh, July 26 of 1875 at the summit of Funk Hill. Hmm. You know, he had to do a little dance <laughs> and, you know, get down tonight. <laughs> Funk Hill. So, yep. Uh, it was about 100 miles from the city. Uh, uh, Wells Fargo stagecoach drive by, you know, would go through that area. Um, and it would reach the top of a hill, and then he would, like, follow it. So he knew the, tra the trail of where Wells Fargo's uh, stagecoaches were going the whole time. So he knew where and how, when they stopped, do all that kind of stuff. So he was pla he planned this out for a while on how he was going to do all this. Wow. 
Yeah, he had a, he really did not like him. He <laughs> made them the sole target. He only followed Wells Fargo. Premeditated so bank homicide. <laughs> bank aside. So, there was a Wells Fargo stagecoach dr- uh, driven by uh, John Shine. Uh, uh, and would reach the top of a hill when uh, all of a sudden Black Bart stepped out from behind the large rock uh, from behind, behind a large rock that was there dressed in long white linen coat oh. uh, known also as a duster wearing a bowler hat with rags tied to his over like over his shoes so when he would walk it would like obscure the, uh, the footprints so you couldn't follow his tracks oh man because it would dust them away Oh, <laughs> now I know they even mentioned he's actually he was very intelligent. Yeah, like, he believed everybody else was pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah, than yeah. him, so he was very smart. But that also plays a, a reason it was downfall. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because like, yeah, he's really smart. He figured out that the banks are the problem. <laughs> but yeah, it was like he's we also labeled as everybody to be less intelligent than him. He was one of those, but at the same time, that caused some him to get to be found because he just got lazy and thinking all oh, these dumb idiots will never find out who was doing it because mm, mm. that's you gotta get to that point but we'll get there okay so uh when the stagecoach slowed to a stop uh black bart decided he shouted out loudly to the rest of his gang uh, if you will <laughs> if he dares shoot give him a solid volley boys so the stage uh, driver looked around uh to see uh, no fewer than six rifles pointing at him from Whoa. behind surrounding rocks and bushes and stuff, and then through, and then quickly through the strong, uh, the strong box, which was where all the money was kept, uh, as ordered. Mm. It contained over two hundred dollars, uh, which in today is about four thousand nine hundred eighty-seven and forty-seven cents. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, in today's money, yeah, that's that was a good amount. Of, that's a good haul. Yeah, uh, he's so got a. Bart the, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but he, like he he's got a gang, so he's really been working on this project. For... Oh, he's got a gang, all right. Trust oh, me. It's hell fantastic. yeah! It gets even better. Okay. okay. So uh, Bart uh, then uh, sent the stagecoach on his way. Never bothered uh, to like you know frighten the passengers. Never demanded anything from their possessions. He was very strict on that. He never. He always made sure the passengers were okay. He never took anything from them. He didn't want anything from them. It was only what Wells Fargo had. He's won. Like I said, he's going to get it one way or another, that gold. Yeah. That he got screwed out of. He was going to get it. Yeah. Well, so yeah, he was very kind to all the passengers, making sure they're okay. Nothing was telling them nothing is going to happen to them. Trust them. You're trying to make me like this bank robber. <laughs> I honestly, reading this, I more and more, I was like, God, I like this guy. Like, I, he's like, oh, my eyes, almost the role model now for me. Yeah. <laughs> he is a bad guy for what he's doing because it was highly illegal. But they had it coming. Yeah. Wells Fargo had this coming. Yeah, what they were, I mean, let's think about this. Like, okay, what he's doing is technically, I mean, it's technically illegal, right? But they <laughs> they drank his milkshake. What What else do you need yeah, to know? Yeah, they were stealing from him. Like, they, they forced him out of his own mind. Like, you can't, like, that happens, but it sucks when people do that. And I'd be just as pissed. It's like, yeah. why? I'm like, I'm going to get my revenge one way or another. I'm going to find a way to screw you over like you did to me gonna happen people are gonna do that yeah yeah I, I think i made a joke not long ago i might might have made it on the show i said um 2020 pandemic 2021 annoying pandemic people 2022 i am in a a crappy little dune buggy um ambushing amazon trucks <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> that are staking out the grocery stores for all that toilet paper yeah 
<laughs> and then going to gas station and, you know, causing a, an increase in prices. <laughs> yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> Doing all that fun stuff, pretty much. Uh, all right. All righty, then. So, uh, the driver ended up, uh, he goes, pulls off at the bottom of the hill uh, and stops and walks back to pick up the empty strong box. Uh, the robber was gone, but curiously, his gang was still there. And, and like, you could still see them. Yeah. Uh, still aiming their rifles and everything. Huh. So he moved a little bit closer, and then the driver discovered that uh, he had cleverly placed a bunch of, like, dark-colored sticks on top of rocks and shoved them into bushes what? to look like rifle barrels. So he didn't have a gang. He never had a gang. Oh, my God. <laughs> and now, not to mention, he also would carry a rusted-out shotgun. Like, uh, it was so rusty that it wouldn't even fire. It was never even loaded. Oh, it's, it's all a bluff. That was choice. It's a bluff. He was I, a bluff. He I never, freaking love so, this guy. <laughs> he, throughout his entire career of robbing people, of robbing Wells Fargo, he never fired a single shot and he never wanted to shoot anybody. He oh did not want God. to kill anybody, period. Uh, so he right. would do these things like just makeshift, like making it look like there's gang members there. And he did it on foot. Yeah. All on foot. He never had a horse. He walked it all. He ran it all. Wow. Oh. That's because he had a fear of horses. I don't know why, but he had a fear of horses, I guess. Jeez. Yeah, all on foot. I'm, I couldn't believe it. I'm, I was reading this, and I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I'm going to print out that picture and put it on my wall. <laughs> so for people, for the youngins who can only imagine, um, think of, like, the if you ever seen Fortnite, they have the, the gilly bush, and it just looks like a walking bush with a gun sticking out of it because your gun sticks out of it. Basically that. <laughs> It's just a bush with a little freaking stick sticking out of it. That <laughs> looks like a barrel. <laughs> and it can it got it, it confused the driver enough to believe, yeah, there's he's got gang members up in the hills there. And they're gonna shoot me. I like if that. I don't do this. We're connecting with our Zoomer audience by using Fortnite analogies. Very good. Very good. I honestly was hoping I was gonna look up a picture of that bush and put it in here for you to have an eye so you could see it, but I completely forgot about it. And no, then it you, came back to you, me. You, you, drew a, of it. you drew a perfect picture in my imagination. I was like, it's just too easy to you can really easily explain it. So yeah, it's just it's just a bunch it's just a bunch of rocks and bushes with sticks, you know, attached yeah. to them. Oh that my god. That looks like guns. <laughs> That's all he did. Alright. So with his uh ill-gotten gang uh gains, uh from the the living of the life of luxury in San Francisco, wearing the finest clothes and eating at all the best restaurants, he decided <laughs> to call himself Charles Barton. Charles uh, Bolton? Bolton Barton. Bolton. Uh, it's Bart. He would Bolt. mostly just go by Black Bort. Uh, Bart, I mean. So. Black Bort? <laughs> yeah, Bort. <laughs> I want to say it that, but because I'm thinking of bulls and mixing Bart with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of name play in the Old West, uh, which is very interesting, but that that's a whole other conversation. So he's calling himself Charles Bolton. He's eating at Chili's every night. Um, Pretty much. Uh, he would also be claiming himself he's a, a mining engineer, nice. uh, a business that required him to make frequent stops and business trips everywhere. So it just happened to be at the same time Wells Fargo's were going through. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, stagecoach robberies were happening. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Bart uh, would uh, wait months between robberies and uh, even begin leaving, like, leaving short poems at some of the scenes, uh, taunting the guys and the pursuers. Yeah. Okay. So Aaron, if you would like to read one of his poems. Oh, I would love to. Okay. <laughs> Here I lay me down to sleep. To await the coming morrow, perhaps success, perhaps defeat, and everlasting sorrow. I've labored long and hard for bread, for honor and for riches. But on my corns too long you've tread, you fine-haired sons of bitches. 
Let come what will, I'll try it on. My condition can't be worse. And if there's money in that box, tis money in my purse. Signed, Black Bart. <laughs> oh, God. I love it. Ah! Yep, that was the first poem he left on one of the scenes. Jeez. So he's actually only known for leaving poems, but he only left two of them. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know why that's that it just stuck with him. And he's known for leaving poems, but he only really just left two. So those, that was one of them. Wow. We'll get the, the other one, too, and it's just as good. So, he, uh, for some reason, he would sign him uh, Black Bart, the POA, or likely known as meaning poet, hmm. the poet. Gotcha. Poet. And yeah. so, yep, the legend of that name began. That's where all the wanted posters at this time period would have Black Bart now. Man. So, that would be the reason. POA. He also became known as the Gentleman Bandit for his very polite uh, conduct during robberies. Uh, well, Fargo even issued a statement into the stagecoach uh, stage passengers assuring them that he's and this is their quote he has never manifested uh, any viciousness or the uh the reason to believe he is gonna you know averse to taking human life like that's just not who he is right so they warned they warned the the people in the coaches and everything that he's not gonna kill him yeah he didn't want to kill anybody yeah it he, wasn't what he was his motive it wasn't something he was after he did not want to take human life that's I that's wonderful <laughs> yep so he was polite to all the passengers, especially to ladies. Of Very course. nice to them. Yeah. Uh, he comes and goes from the scene uh, on foot. Uh, like he, they seemed to him as like a good mountaineer and like a good walker. Hmm. So, yeah, but very, very much did not like riding horses. I never found out why. Like I couldn't find anything to say why. It just stated that he has a fear of horses. Hmm. So uh, probably maybe a bad experience when he was a kid at the farm working with them. You know, maybe when he was using them, like using them to do stuff with the land, you know, and doing like hoe, like the plowing the land and stuff. Maybe I know, had a bad I know experience what it was. with it. I know what it was. He got robbed by a horse. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There, maybe one day trying to get on the horse and just got a nice old hoof to the sh- to the gut. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine like playing Red Dead when you're robbing other people's horses, put like saddlebags, and the horse just gets mad and kicks them. <laughs> it just gets sent flying. <laughs> Pretty much probably one of those. Like, I really don't know. They don't really say reason why other than I've seen a couple of articles say that he had a fear of horses and which is why he did it all on foot. Yeah. But I don't know. So on his fifth robbery, uh, which occurred almost a year later on uh, July 25th of 1878, he left this note. Aaron, would you like to read this one as well? So here I've stood while wind and rain have set the trees a sobbing and risked my life for that box that wasn't worth the robbing. Ooh. So after that, there would be no more poems. <laughs> his bank robberies, though, would continue. Good. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of his bank robberies would still consist of just, like, high, you know, makeshift things to make it seem like he had other people there using the rusty shotgun as his chosen weapon of choice that was never loaded and never going to fire because it was broken to bits. And uh, just getting people to hand over the box. Right. So, and he was always only going after Wells Fargo, like... It was Wells Fargo or nothing. That's and that's so amazing. yeah, he's found success in that career. That was his career was just robbing Wells Fargo. <laughs> I love it. Oh yeah. So on November third of eighteen eighty three, he returned to the area of his first stagecoach robbery uh, in California, and you, uh, the stagecoach was driving by. So it's the same one he was going. He went to go rob pretty much the exact same one. He was riding by in the same area. Looks and, like uh, uh, this. And only. The town name is Copperopolis. 
Yep, Caprapolis, California. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. So it was driven by uh, Ranson, uh, and it only had one passenger, a man named Jimmy. Okay. And the stagecoach came to a small crawl, like, uh, you know, uh, like climbing the ridge he was on. Okay, so the stagecoach was being driven by Reason McConnell and a guy named Jim Rollery. These names are amazing. What was the first guy? It was, his name was something Shine? Yeah, I think it was yeah, Shine. Was it, was it uh, let's see here. Hold on. Let's go back. I, I want to go back. <laughs> Who's the first guy? Uh, let's see. Was it like Richard? Sh no, uh, John, John Shine. Shine. John Shine. And John Shine will make an appearance coming up here again. Oh, okay, okay. But I think if I remember. I just love back. names from the era. Sorry. <laughs> Reason. No, me too. No, wait, no, I was wrong. No, it's someone else, but uh, I th I know that um, there's probably, like, I remember there was, like, a reading a quote from him on describing who uh, Bart was, but I think that's pretty much of that, but... Uh, okay. But, uh, yeah, so as the stagecoach uh, uh, slowly uh, was slowly to uh, climb, like, the ridge, uh, what happened was Jimmy, one of the passengers, uh, jumped off to do a little hunting, so when they got to the top, he jumped off to go do some hunting, you know, probably get dinner or lunch, depending on what time of day it was. Right. Uh, and just before the stage crest the hill, there was Black Bart peering out of the bush uh, and ordered uh, him to, like, stop the order the stagecoach driver to just throw the strong box, you know, you know down. Over yeah, to yeah. Although this time, however... <laughs> The box was bolted to the floor of the stagecoach. Uh-oh. <laughs> after, after ordering uh, to unhatch, uh, to unhatch, like, hitch it, uh, the team uh, the, the team had to take uh, them over to the crest of the hill. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he had to tell them to go over there. And then when he went to work on the box, he told him, you guys go over there. I'm doing this. So he went to the work on the box by beating it with pretty much an axe to break it open. Wow. So I had those guys get off the coach, go way down over there somewhere away from me so I can get this done without you guys being by me. You know, so no funny business kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So after, uh, like, getting all the money and gold uh, and the bundle of mail that was in there, uh, Jimmy appeared out of the bushes, at which time Bart began to flee. Okay. And uh, Mick, uh, Colonel, I think it was Colonel? McConnell? Colonel? McConnell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. McConnell then fired two shots at him missing, but when uh, Jimmy fired off a shot, bullet hit him in the back of the hand, oh. forcing him to drop the mail, but he got away with the sack of gold. So he dropped the mail, but he got away with his money. Mm. And I suppose he's probably stealing the mail because it have, might have like money in it, sort of thing. It would probably I'd be like, uh, it would be a list of like the money and where it was coming from. And, and oh, possibly yeah. could also have other like telling you, hey, this is where other. Coaches are going to be coming by too. Yeah, we could have had all that detail intel for the banks to know, so they know when their coaches, the next shipment, which should be coming, and things like that. There you go. That makes sense. So something probably like that. And I've never seen any documents saying what it was in the mail, but I'm going to guess most likely it was probably just that. Yeah, I mean, we we got to think about this as like not only are you hacking the system to transfer some dollars or crypto to your account, you're also taking you know the uh, the data as well. <laughs> So he's, he's, this sounds silly, like you would steal the mail, but that was your data back then. Very interesting. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. as intelligent as he was, he made one little tiny error to oh. it, unfortunately. Um, when he was, even though he got away from the scene, uh, he un accidentally had dropped his handkerchief during the fight. Oh. And had a distinct, distinctive laundry marking. Okay. 
So, like, it added, like, a distinct logo on it, basically. Mm -hmm. And that would pretty much be the end of him. <laughs> oh. So, detectives were able to use that handkerchief to track him down to the laundry house in San Francisco, and eventually to him. Oh. Man. So, yeah, unfortunately, that was how he got captured. So, something so little and nothing that he probably wouldn't have thought that would probably have gotten him, you know, caught. Mm -hmm. That would never came to his mind, a little handkerchief that they were just able to trace back to him. Man. Uh, well, they get you. They they're gonna get you somehow, I guess. So yep. Uh, Wells Fargo though, uh, only pressed trial charges, which is nice of them. Only on the final robbery, they didn't do all of his robberies. But then again, they probably couldn't convict him on it. Yeah, there wasn't enough evidence. It was just a guy who was robbing them. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, probably like, well, we don't have the evidence to say he did this, but we do have this one because we were able to link him to it. Yeah. So. Good on him for getting away with the rest of them. <laughs> I, I guess so, yeah. So, uh, was convicted and sentenced to six years in the San Quentin prison. Ugh. Oh, no. <laughs> I've heard of the prison, but I can't remember, like, if how bad it was. I, I just remember hearing in the modern sure. In the modern era, it's one of the worst, from what I understand. Okay. Yeah, but I, I don't know about back then. Yeah, I was, I'm pretty sure it was just as bad, you know, prison is prison, but True. I don't know exactly the level of what prisons are really bad to go to. Well, he's, want to go there. He's going to go there with a lot of street cred, right? Like, he didn't Pretty hurt much. anybody. I mean, he's got a lot of cred. Yeah, yeah. Robbing a bunch of stagecoaches. Don't worry, I'll tell you exactly how many he robbed. Okay. <laughs> We're getting there. So, uh, yeah, the only press charges on him for the one. Uh, but he was released after four years of good behavior, so he did get out early. So it was in uh, January of 1888. Uh, when he was released, though, uh, reporters swarmed around him, asking if he would go back to robbing any more stagecoaches. And if Aaron, this is what he said, if you would like to read it. He said, No, gentlemen, he replied, smiling. I'm through with crime. <laughs> yep, this is pretty much the end of his criminal career. You know, he just decided that he had enough of it, made some money off of it, got back at what they did to him, and mm -hmm. it's pretty much how it, end. it ended with that for his criminal career. So he then uh, lived in Nevada, the uh, house in San Francisco, before disappearing into, uh, I want to say it's Vessel? Vessel? The it looks house like the Visalia house. The Visalia? In Visalia, yeah. California. Yeah. Yep. It was a hotel. Yeah. So, uh, it was in, that was in like February of 1888. Uh, he had... Uh, da, uh, da, it was like kind of like written and shown that like Wells Fargo was keeping tabs on him still though. Yeah. But uh, by the time Wells Fargo like kind of went to go make sure he was still, you know, keeping a clean nose and checking in on, you know, people were checking out on him. He had already left the place and he was last seen uh, on February 28th of 1888. So the remains of what happened to him is unknown. Like we, nobody knows how he died or what happened to him. So he just disappeared. Huh? Yeah. There was a news uh, in like a newspaper that was on the New York newspaper. Allegedly it printed out that uh, an obituary of him hmm. uh, with the Civil War. As a Civil War veteran in 1917, um, it's possible that could have been him. So, with because it, it was labeled with Charles E. Bowles, so it's pretty possible that was him. Mm -hmm. And he would have claimed that he would have died uh, 88 years old. Huh. But if it's true, nobody knows if this was the guy or if it wasn't him. But it's possible that was him. So he just he just kind of vanished, and even yep. Wells Fargo couldn't keep. Couldn't yeah, Wells Fargo just couldn't keep tabs on him. He was huh. he just disappeared. Wow. So, uh, yeah, others believed uh, he did return home uh, to some of the old mining camps. Uh, one legend says that he returned to his career of robbing stagecoaches until Wells Fargo offered him uh, 
some money saying just stop. <laughs> <laughs> if he would just leave the vehicles alone and then uh, this had be. But then again, Wells Fargo did deny it, saying that, yeah, no, that didn't happen. Interesting. But uh, he ended up robbing over like 28 stagecoaches. Oh, my in his gosh. Lifetime. That was his career. Of what over a legend. Oh. All alone with a rusty... All Wells Fargo, too. It rusty. was never any other, com- other bank. It was just Wells Fargo. This is a man after my own heart. <laughs> yeah. the uh, When we talked about Wells Fargo the first time, um, when we were doing uh, Wyatt Earp, I learned so much in that episode that it was kind of crazy. Like, I, there, was, there was no way to write down everything that happened with Wells Fargo. Um... And the stagecoach operation that they were running. But also, like, the robberies were all super interesting. And there was, like, this this weird, like, uh, corporatist versus, versus like, uh, independent American criminal war that was going on. Mm-hmm. And the people who sided with Wells Fargo were, like, pretty well universally despised until Hollywood got a hold of those stories and made, like, hero stories out of people who defended the stagecoaches. Right? So, like, uh-huh. back in the day, a lot of people were like, man, these these criminals, you know, they're really taking down these big banks. You know, people had, admir- like, natural admiration for people who went against, you know, what, what amounted to the East India Company on land. Um, oh, so yeah, because, you know, you got to look at it, too. People also called most bankers, like, you know, robber barons or oil barons. You know, it was that was, like, a slang for them. And mm-hmm. those, those guys didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. It was, I, I would- like, very much a big hate on them. <laughs> Well, the, the, the thing about the, the Wells Fargo type corporations, banks, etc., is like if you look at their history, it's all kind of the same. They secure the water, they secure the land, and then they secure the air. And by the air, I mean communications. Like we talk about a uh, history of telecommunications. It's like all of those things were owned by robber barons. Um, oh, yeah. And like corporatists and things like that. It's, but when they finally got control of the communication, never things have never been the same. Like uh, how, do, how do I put this? We've only we've all grown up in a world where everything we see is on television or here on the air, anything like that is controlled by one of these companies, whether it be, you know, Wells Fargo or another. They're all connected. And it's really freaky because and I mention it all the time, but the United Fruit Company is a big one. Um, They they took control of the telecoms in South America and that sort of thing, allegedly so that they could, you know, control their fruit shipments better. But, you know, they essentially, as long as they can get away with it, they will run slave operations in other countries to get the product where it needs to go. And then mm-hmm. they'll portray themselves as, like, some champion of, like, the, the global community or whatever um, with their ads and stuff. And we just don't know. So, like, oh, yeah. Wyatt Earp is, is, is an exact, is a perfect example of this. Just a guy who was on the side of the stagecoach people. Um, who had a bad reputation until Hollywood got a hold of his story and rewrote it so that he was some kind of a hero as opposed to just being a sellout <laughs> to these big companies. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's a, that's a long rant and a whole other day, whole discussion for a whole other day. The Old West in America is one of the most interesting topics you can really deep dive into. Um, but it's also one of the most screwed with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's most it's really interesting and mostly for me it's just the names. Like people having these random names like Yeah. Just like Black Bart and then you had uh, Doc Holiday, you know, Billy the Kid. Hollywood names. That's what it's they just, are. Um, yeah, it's just like some of them are just very interesting in how they did all. They had these fancy names and 
just the stories. And it was since it was just as wild as it could be back then, things were kind of just you handle your business with, you know, by yourself. Like you did it. You did your handle your business. Yeah. Somebody messed with you that you were going to handle. You fixed it. You didn't go uh, to like, you know, the sheriff or anybody or the cops or anything. You pretty much handled it then and there. You did. You handled that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, and that's you why was they, on your terms. That's why they had these names. I mean, it's not so different from gang names or stage names. Um, you know, I was talking to my mom the other day and she said that her first concert that she ever went to was, was for a guy named Christopher Cross. And I just said, that's a stage name. That's not his real name. And she's like, oh no, that's his real name. I'm like, no, his name is not Chris Cross, mom. Come on. So I Googled it and yeah, it's not his real name. It's a stage name, but everybody knows him as Christopher Cross, right? No, so yeah, you can even put it as the same thing with, uh, uh, Marshall for, you know, Eminem, Slim Shady, those, you know, all those were stage names. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. That's, uh. It's exactly what it is, and that's the way it was in in this sort of like uh, this uh, almost like ganglier time. <laughs> uh, yeah, and like any of also the same thing with any of today's rappers, you know, Fifty Cent. Like, yeah, obviously that's not. <laughs> like, I'm pretty name. sure that's not his name. I really yeah. don't know what his actual name is, but everybody knows him. But it's a brand. It's a brand. It's a, it's and, a brand. <laughs> yeah. And what's interesting about about branding is that like the outlaws and stuff like that, they sort of built their own independent brands like they were they were almost like your soundcloud rapper um who's trying oh, yeah. to get a following um versus like your approved rapper from hollywood records or whatever um like when you really get uh, when you really zoom out on it it's like who do you take the side of the the up-and-coming soundcloud rapper or the approved contracted rapper from you know hollywood records who sucks but you know he's got a big name behind him and, uh, you know, it's just all of these stories that sound like uh, they come out of movies, um, they usually do eventually have movies made about them, and then that colors the whole picture going back. It's very, very interesting, and, and that's that's probably a topic for another day just because it's, it's more communication theory and, um, you know, um, I, I guess the word would be more like rumor theory. <laughs> I don't know how else to put yeah. that, but... I want to believe that Black Bart was real, though. <laughs> I love the story. and it was, Yeah, it's, it's a really good story. It's a good read. You know, I recommend anybody to definitely kind of like if they wanted to look up more and find out more about him. Because there's like some stuff that just didn't really matter. More of like, um, it would probably go into detail more of all the robberies you could probably find. But I know this is just more of them. I wasn't going to go to all 28 of them. But they're yeah, all yeah. pretty much the same of like the same thing. Just using makeshift things to trick people. Yeah. yeah, he was very, really interesting. Like, the fact that he would, you know, tie, like, cloth to his feet and, like, wipe away his, like, footprints so you couldn't really track him very well. I was yeah. Like, this, yeah, he was, he was into, he had some ideas. Like, it, that's, it was really crazy how he was handling everything and how he got around with it. Yeah. Well, um, I, I love that. Short and sweet. Um, beautiful little story. I think it's probably time to head up to the surface, though, and close this out. Yep. All right. I think it is time. Yep. Okay. So, Aaron, if you were to rob a you know a bank, what bank would it be, and why is it Wells Fargo? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's Wells Fargo because well, Fargo. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha So there's no other bank you would want to rob. No. Other than just Wells Fargo because it's Wells Fargo and the things they've done. Oh my lord. <laughs> well, I would ask you to be creative and like come up with like a, a fancy way to rob a Wells Fargo, but I don't want to give them our plans. You know, we know they track people who hate them. 
<laughs> yeah, I was like, I mean, the the I can't really go and tie some cloth to my feet because we're running on you know concrete now, so That's... my tracks wouldn't be really found. So well, maybe I've I got... have to find a way to remove uh, the tire tracks. You know, when I use my car. Yeah, we got to find a way to ambush those Amazon drones somehow, right? <laughs> Just post up in a you know deer stand and shoot them down with my. Well, nice twelve gauge, you know. That's the most. Solved. That's the most Midwestern thing I've heard all day. It's the most American thing. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, I think it's time to bring the show to an end for today. If you hate us, you probably are from Wells Fargo. So you have money. You can fund the show by becoming a patron on Patreon.com. Or if Patreon is not your thing, drop us a little tip in Venmo. That's at WTADP. We love those tips. Super fun. Our cover art was created by Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration, and we've hired him again uh, a while ago to update our aging facade, so we can look forward to having that art at some point, perhaps. You can view more of his wonderfully whimsical work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. And with all that being said, we'll close out and let the sound of Wells Fargo getting screwed over play you out. All right, let's give this a little watch, shall we? Should be good. <laughs> Love the music. It's great. Hello. Hello. I'm John Stumpf. Stumpf. On behalf of all of us at Wells Fargo, I'd like to welcome you and tell you about our company. Okay. About our legacy and our history, our vision and our values. Let's see what you have to say, our Stumpf. Our very unique culture, where we are today, and what we want to become tomorrow. Ooh. It's an exciting story. And the most exciting part is, we're still making history today. I bet you are. We were founded in 1852 by Henry Wells and William Fargo to offer banking and express services in the gold rush port of San Francisco, California. Oh, really? A lot of gold Very there. Very soon, yes. our agents were opening offices in new towns and mining camps all across the West. Just expanding innocently. Very early on, Wells Fargo earned a <laughs> reputation for trust, dependability, safety, and security, oh. by dealing rapidly and responsibly with people's money. Uh, by oh, 1866, oh. <laughs> we were running 2,500 stagecoaches across the western U.S. I bet you were. But along came the railroads, and they made stagecoaches obsolete. See? And so, we transformed ourselves into an express service, coast to coast. They're everywhere. We were transporting every type of produce and manufactured produce, goods. Produce, manufactured goods. We helped America grow and expand across the continent. Oh, they're everywhere. They're hundreds everywhere. Hundreds and hundreds of our predecessor companies. Hundreds! Which became part of our company in the 20th century were building communities then too. We survived the San Francisco earthquake of 1906. So did a lot of cockroaches. We survived World War I when the government nationalized our 10,000 express offices and we shrunk to just one bank office. One bank? The Great wow. Depression. Who could come up with Not that? Not a single one of our depositors lost one dollar. I wonder how they pulled that in off. In the decades after World War II, we helped launch the boom in consumer installment loans, <laughs> drive-in banks, computer data centers, ATMs, money market funds, asset allocation, portfolio management, index funds, phone banking. In 1994, we became the first to offer online banking. Oh, there Today, it is. We're one of only about a dozen US companies still in its founding business under its founding name. I wonder how now they manage that. Power. Oh, it's staying power, yes. <laughs> oh. 
Wells Fargo today is a product of tens of hundreds of mergers and acquisitions over the decades. Oh, wow. They just We're put it right there. North American Financial Services Company. We have one of our industry's most extensive distribution systems, stores, ATMs, phone banks, and of course, the internet. Ugh. Our culture today owes distribution so much to all and our reach. predecessors and the talented, loyal, caring folks who've gone before us. Mm. We describe our culture in a document we've been living by for more than two decades, our vision and values. Our vision is simple. We want to satisfy all of our customers' financial needs. We want to help them succeed financially. We want to be the premier provider of financial services in every one of our markets. And we want to be known as one of America's great companies. There, yeah. People are central to our vision. But they are. People are our greatest competitive advantage not products, not technology, which can be easily copied. No one, however, can duplicate the talent and carrying and expertise of our great people. They got the best. We believe our people can out-execute our competitors every time because our people care more than our competitors. I'm do. sure they do. We believe in the power of diversity. Oh, anybody the can be a slave. The attitude of our team members is the most important difference between a great financial services company and just a good one. Uh. Because if you have happy, Our greatness comes from a bunch of people from all over the world. You know, they really just want you involved. Satisfied and loyal customers who will give us more of their business and rave about us to their family and friends and business associates. Convert those people. We put our customers at the center of everything we do. We start every discussion, make every decision, invest every dollar based on what's right for them. For some reason, I doubt that. This isn't just about transactions. This is about lifelong relationships. Yeah, they want you so for we're life. not just selling checking <laughs> accounts or investments or insurance or mortgage products. It's about relationships. Our product is actually service. Our value added is financial advice. And our competitive advantage is our people. At Wells Fargo, sales and service are inseparable. Yeah. More sales do not always lead to better service. But better service uh, almost always leads to more sales. Yeah. Oh, what a load of crap.